Hey everybody, how's it going? This is Hub, and welcome back to another episode of Tighten Up the Defense, a podcast that would likely benefit from a tagline. As I believe I just mentioned, my name's Hub, and I hope you're having a fine whenever the heck it is you end up listening to this. Me? Oh, I'm okay. I mean, I'm not exactly stoked about the horrible bullshit that the Supreme Court's been up to this week, and I'm not exactly stoked that that statement puts so little of a timestamp on this episode, but that's not what you tuned in to hear. You know what I am stoked about? This detective novel that I've been trying to find, which I finally tracked down a copy of. It's called Murder on Location, and it came out in 1983. You want to know why I'm stoked about it? Well, let me read you the copy on the back of the book and maybe you'll figure it out. Lights. Camera. Murder. The picture had box office bucks written all over it. Top talent. Big budget. A great script. Until someone on the set started changing the storyline to murder. Was someone trying to sabotage the film? Did somebody have a personal beef against the cast or crew? Nothing was certain, except that the killer knew lots of ways to kill. Had the dashing director gone bonkers on booze? How bad was the Texas backer dying to get out of the movie? Was the famous matador messing around with more than men? Why did the police chief suddenly seem chiefly interested in stopping the investigation? Had the venomous TV columnist decided to make more than killing comments? Was it even possible that a hot-blooded star was capable of cold-blooded murder? Well, those are a lot of great questions back of the book. But none of those are the reason I'm chiefly interested in the book. What is? Well, I think maybe the next sentence will shed some light on that. Veteran actor George Kennedy has tackled some tough roles, but he's never been forced to put his life on the line to finish a film. Yeah, that George Kennedy. This is a detective novel that was written by, starring, and probably for, veteran character actor George Kennedy. You know, the guy who helped make Paul Newman all those eggs in Cool Hand Luke. Leslie Nielsen's friend in the Naked Gun movies. And most importantly, the thief in Thunderbolt and Lightfoot who dressed up like an ice cream salesman to steal some shit, and then when a kid tried to buy ice cream from him, he told the kid to go fuck a duck. Now, as you notice, the back of the book asks a lot of rhetorical questions, but they are not specifically the questions I want answered. The two questions I want answered most are, one, does George Kennedy in this book use the phrase, hey kid, go fuck a duck, as his catchphrase? And B, how many hot dogs can veteran character actor George Kennedy eat while he's in a fugue state? I mean, I didn't think anybody could beat Shaft's record of seven, but if anyone can, it's veteran character actor turned amateur sleuth George Kennedy.
Anyway, I'll keep you guys posted on how the book is, but I'm pretty excited about it. Now let's talk about a comic book. Without any further ado, let's, uh, do this. New Titans, number 60, November 1989. A Lonely Place of Dying, Chapter 2, Roots. Written by Marf Wolfman and George Perez. Drotted by George Perez. Inkted by Bob McLeod. Lettered by John Costanza. Colored by Adrienne Roy. And edited by Jonathan Peterson and Mike Carlin. Teen Titan Roll Call. Nightwing. Cyborg. Starfire. Jericho. Troya. Speedy. And... A kid who we later find out is Tim Drake. Previously in the New Titans. The gang journeyed into space so that Wonder Girl could retcon her origin, get a new power set, and change her code name to Troya. When they got back to Earth, Dick Grayson, aka Nightwing, was shocked to learn that his replacement as Robin, Jason Todd, had been murdered by the Joker. Oh no! Dick responded to this tragic news by A. Firing the Titans' precocious late-season cast edition Danny fucking Chase for being a dipshit. Hooray! And 2. Heading back to Gotham to check in on his old mentor, the Batman, a.k.a. Bruce Wayne, and see how he was dealing with the death of his protege. How Bruce was dealing with the death was not great, so Dick appointed Cyborg as the new Titans leader and took a leave of absence from our titular team to keep an eye on his surrogate Bat-Dad. Previously in Batman. Billionaire-do-well Bat enthusiast Bruce Wayne was pretty torn up about Jason Todd's death and had been distracting himself from his feelings by Batmaning around just as hard as he could. He had a rough fight with a villain named The Ravager, who was entirely unrelated to the other four characters Marv Wolfman had named The Ravager, and sustained some minor injuries. This battle was watched by a mysterious stranger who took a bunch of pictures before riding off on his bicycle. Batman's long-suffering butler Alfred treated his employer's wounds and gave him a little lecture about how hard he's been pushing himself lately and how badly he's been fucking up. Batman sulked moodily about this reprimand, then went back to burning the bat candle at both bat ends. As he thwarted a scheme by some mafia thugs who were in cahoots with the publishing industry, Batman had the realization that Gotham's recent surge in crime was being orchestrated by his old enemy, Harvey Dent, a.k.a. Two-Face. Meanwhile, the mysterious stranger who had been taking photographs earlier went to New York to talk to Dick Grayson. After staking out the Titan Tower and noticing Nightwing's absence, the shadowy Shutterbug went to Starfire's apartment and asked the spicy space princess about her boyfriend's whereabouts. Coriander was unable to answer his query, so the stranger left and headed to Dick's old bachelor pad apartment to look for clues. After rifling through some scrapbooks and newspaper clippings, the intrusive interloper found a recent article reporting that the circus Dick grew up performing in was experiencing financial distress. Taking the clipping and a picture from Dick's scrapbook with him, the stranger rushed off into the night. God, Zooks! Just who is this mysterious stranger? Does the apparent significance of the news clipping mean that this story will take place at the circus? And will there be a murder in this issue?
Stay tuned to find out. Okay, so a teenage boy we've never seen before named Tim Drake. Yes. And I just said the issue takes place at the circus. Of course there's a murder. Cyborg and Starfire are hanging out at the Titan's T-shaped skyscraper, trying to figure out where Dick might be. They've been frantically searching for him for over a day now so that they can warn him that a stranger is looking for him, but without any success. They try calling his pager again, but Dick doesn't answer. Cyborg is like, Well, do you think we should try calling Bruce Wayne's house and seeing if he's there? Starfire is like, You mean call the place where he explicitly told us he was going when he went on leave from the team? Why, that's so crazy it just might work. Sadly, it does not work. Maybe it wasn't crazy enough. When Cyborg phones Wayne Manor, Alfred informs the mostly molybdenum Marvel that he hasn't seen Dick in a few days. Cyborg is like, well, shit. He calls Donna and Joey, who are hanging out at Dick's apartment, in case he shows up over there. Cyborg is like, I don't suppose Dick is there, is he? Donna is like, uh, refresh my memory. Is Dick the one who wears a red and yellow outfit, carries a bow and arrow, and is constantly hitting on me? Cyborg is like, no, I'm pretty sure that's Speedy. Donna is like, oh, then no, Dick isn't here. It turns out that at some point, Dick had asked Roy Harper, a.k.a. Speedy, to fill in for him with the Titans while he was gone, but he hadn't bothered to inform the rest of the gang about it. Roy, Donna, and Joey poke around the place looking for clues. Joey finds a hidden wall safe. Roy cracks it open and sees that it contains a scrapbook with a couple of pages torn out of it. This freaks everyone out because apparently Dick is very protective of his precious memory scrapbook, and if it has been defiled in some way, then something must be terribly wrong. So where is Dick Grayson? Why, he's run off to join the circus. The elusive adventurer arrives at the fairgrounds just outside of town and begins wandering around between the huge tents of Haley's Circus. The same circus where he once performed with his parents before their untimely death. The surroundings are instantly familiar, but Dick's nostalgia is marred slightly as he notices that things seem a little bit run down. He stops to watch an elephant named Eleanor that he remembers from his youth and is accosted by a muscular middle-aged man named Jacques. Jacques knew Dick when he was little, but it takes him a minute to recognize the athletic young man before him as the flippy little kid he used to be. Which makes sense. I mean, it's been an indeterminate amount of comic book time since they've seen one another, and, as we've established, pretty much everyone in the DCU is face-blind. The rare exception to this rule proves to be an alcoholic clown named Harry, who stumbles drunkenly out of his tent and is like, Dick! It's good to see you again. Then he trips and passes out in a pile of elephant shit. Jacques is like, Sorry about Harry the drunk clown. He's a real mess lately. Dick is like, You know what? He's still a better co-worker than Danny fucking Chase. Dick heads to the trailer that serves as the circus's business office and has a little chat with the owner, Harrison H. Haley V. Dick is like, What's going on in this place, Mr. Haley? Mr. Haley is like, Hey, kid, call me Harry. Sorry the place is such a shit show, but ever since your folks got murdered, business has been slipping. 
For some reason, kids these days would rather stay home and watch TV or play video games than subject themselves to the inevitable witnessing of a violent crime that a fictional circus all but guarantees. I blame the parents. I mean, not yours, of course, as we've already established they were murdered. Here at the circus. Dick is like, The likelihood of violent crime has never stopped people from visiting the circus before. Is that the only thing that's wrong? Harry sighs and is like, I never could put one over on you, Dick. The murders would be one thing, but lately there have also been... Accidents. Dick is like, No. Harry is like, I'm afraid so. If all the danger involved in circus attendance were intentional and malicious, we could weather that storm. People expect a certain amount of murder at the big top. It's part of the fun. But mishaps? Ugh. I was looking to sell the place, but ever since these accidents have started, the offer prices have been plummeting. We can barely give away tickets. I had to start cutting corners to save on expenses. At this rate, the place will be bankrupt by the end of the year. Dick leaves Harry's office and is pretty bummed out. The circus has always been a special place for him, and he'd hate to see it go under. He hears some yelling coming from the clown's dressing room and goes over to investigate. Turns out that Harry the Drunk Clown is fighting with a lion tamer named Wilhelm. Apparently this is a pretty common occurrence. A strong man holds Wilhelm back as a little person helps Harry the Drunk Clown to his feet. Wilhelm is like, Fuck you, Harry the Drunk Clown! In fact, fuck all of you losers! I can't wait for this place to fail so that I can get out of my contract and go work for a real circus. The Teutonic Tabby Tamer storms out of the tent angrily. Harry the Drunk Clown addresses the crowd of circus workers who have gathered around and is like, Yeah, what's your problem? Just leave me alone. The inebriated entertainer goes to take a swig from his flask of liquor, but when he sees that it's empty, he hurls it angrily across the room. Dick snatches the bottle out of the air a split second before it hits a pretty young acrobat in the face. Dick mean mugs Harry the Drunk Clown for a second, but Harry the Drunk Clown is too plastered to notice. That night, the Haley Circus has a rare sold-out show. Mr. Haley has pulled out all of the stops and is billing the evening's entertainment as The Circus 2000! So futuristic. Everyone in the crowd seems to be having a great time and enjoying the spectacle. Well, almost everyone in the crowd. The mysterious stranger from the last issue is concentrating a little too hard to really enjoy himself. He scans the crowd trying to spot Dick Grayson. When he doesn't see Dick amongst the spectators, he turns his attention to the performers to see if Dick has disguised himself as one of them. But, unfortunately for him, the circus resembles a poorly made British pudding in that Dick remains unspotted. Eh? You know, because spotted Dick is a British dessert? Pretty good. Suddenly, there's a commotion in the middle of the ring. I mean, there was already some commotion there, seeing as it is the center ring of a circus, but, you know, more commotion. The cause of this new commotion is that Wilhelm has lost control of one of his lions, a lioness named... Gerbil? Fucking seriously, Wilhelm? Anyway, the lioness turns on her handler and attacks him, clawing at his throat. 
One of the clowns launches himself into action, ascending to the trapeze and then leaping down to cover the attacking feline with a net so that the security workers can tranquilize the rampaging beast. The stranger in the crowd instantly recognizes the heroic clown as being Dick Grayson. Unfortunately, Dick's heroics came too late. Wilhelm is dead. Hooray! I mean, sorry, but he seemed like an asshole, and he gave his lion a really shitty name. Later that night, Mr. Haley has a little chat with Dick about the future of the circus. Basically, it doesn't have one. Harry is like, The insurance companies are telling me that Wilhelm's death was the result of poor animal maintenance. They won't cover it. Now, if it was a normal circus murder, we'd be fine. But another accident? That just makes us look irresponsible. I'm gonna have to close this whole place down. Dick is pretty bummed out and heads off to go say a final goodbye to his circus pals. On his way out of the office, he sees that a kid is getting into a scuffle with the janitorial staff. He notices that the kid is carrying a camera. Why, it's the mysterious stranger from before! The kid runs off, but Dick catches him and is like, Alright, what gives? The kid is like, Oh, it's you. Okay, here's the deal, Dick. I know that you're Nightwing, and I know who Batman is, too. Also, I found this flask in the garbage bag near the lion cage. I think Harry the Drunk Clown used it to drug the lion so that it would kill Wilhelm. If you get the flask tested, I bet it tests positive for a lion PCP or whatever. And that will mean that Wilhelm's death was murder and the circus will be saved. Dick is like, Well, that sounds like some plausible nonsense, but what's this about me and Batman? And who are you? The kid is like, there's no time to tell you my name. I think Batman's sad. Now go save the circus so that you can give him a hug and cheer him up. Dick is like, Batman's not much of a hugger. I mean, um, I don't know him. I mean, ah, forget it. Thanks for the info, but I still don't think Harry the Drunk Clown is guilty. On an entirely unrelated note, I've got something I've got to go do. We'll talk later. A few hours later, Harry the Drunk Clown is slumped over inside his tent, apparently pretty darn wasted. Samson and Pedro, the strongman and little person who previously helped break up that fight with Wilhelm, stop by to have a little chat. Pedro is like, Hey, you dumb drunk clown! You killed Wilhelm, didn't you? You drugged his lion and then you dumped your flask in the trash outside his cage. Of course, you're so drunk you probably don't even remember doing it, do you? Why don't you just confess and save everyone a lot of time? Harry the Drunk Clown is like, Yeah, maybe I should. Only, how do you know where they found the bottle? Dick told me where it was found, but he said that he hadn't told anybody else. So, if you know where it was, then... You must have put it there to frame me. Pedro was like, Well, shit. Guess you got me there. Samson, kill this guy and make it look like it was suicide. Samson is like, Uh, I didn't bring any weapons, but I guess I'll do my best. I mean, I could try to make it look like he punched himself to death, I guess. Sorry about this, Harry the Drunk Clown. You used to be a pretty good clown once. Harry the Drunk Clown is like, Thanks, Samson. 
you're pretty good at getting kicked in the face. Samson is like, huh? Then Harry the Drunk Clown, Savat kicks him in the face. Wait a minute. Savat kick? Why, that's Dick's signature kick. Dick whips off his wig and is like, I'm not Harry the Drunk Clown after all. Samson is like, Dick. Dick is like, I'm surprised you recognized me. Samson is like, I don't. I was just calling you a dick. Dick is like, oh, and kicks Samson in the face again, knocking him out. A bunch of circus guys rush into the room and are like, wow, I can't believe the real murderers were two guys who had collectively had one line of dialogue in the entire issue before revealing themselves as killers. Dick is like, yeah, well, that's the circus for you. Say, where did Pedro get off to? One of the circus guys is like, oh, he ran out of here when the fighting started. Dick rushes outside and finds the kid from before sitting atop a barrel looking awfully pleased with himself. The kid is like, I heard what happened, so when I saw Pedro run out of the tent, I shoved him in this barrel. Pedro is like, hey, let me out of this barrel. The kid is like, no. A little while later, Harry the drunk clown shows up without his makeup on, looking a lot more lucid than he had before. Dick explains that Pedro and Samson had been causing the accidents lately so that they could get the value of the circus to go down and they could buy it for cheap. Harry the Drunk Clown is like, Well, that stinks. But now that Wilhelm's death was a regular old circus murder and not a mysterious accident, the circus is saved! Hooray! Also, I'm not a drunk anymore. So from now on, you can just call me Harry. Dick is like, Sorry, Harry the Drunk Clown, but that would be confusing. See, the circus owner already asked me to call him Harry. Harry the Drunk Clown is like, Well, maybe you could just call me Harry the Clown instead of Harry the Drunk Clown. Dick is like, Hmm, no. Anyway, it was nice talking to you, Harry the Drunk Clown, but I've got to go talk to Harry about something. Congratulations on your sobriety. Dick goes and talks to Harry. The kid waits outside and is like, well, shit. I bet Dick is going to rejoin the circus. A short while later, Dick and Harry come out and shake hands. Harry is like, Well, Dick, I'll have that paperwork drawn up. I hope we'll see more of you around here. Dick is like, Count on it. Harry goes back into his trailer. The kid goes up to Dick and is like, So you're not joining the circus? Dick is like, Nope, but I'm now the co-owner of it. Now that all the deaths around here are murders, it seems like a pretty sound investment. Now, who the hell are you, anyway? The kid is like, there's no time for that! Dick is like, there isn't? Jeez, how long is your name, anyway? The kid is like, that's not important! Here, look at these pictures I took! The kid shows Dick a few pictures of Batman fighting the Ravager and then driving off in the Batmobile. After looking at them for like half a second, Dick is like, oh shit. Looks like Two-Face is back in town and is plotting a Machiavellian scheme against Batman, who seems to have lost a step lately due to inner turmoil. Wow. That kid is one hell of a photographer. The kid is like, Look, I know that after you left, Batman took in Jason Todd as Robin. The press hasn't reported it yet, but Jason died recently, and Batman, whose real name is Bruce Wayne, has been all fucked up ever since. He needs you. He needs you to go back to being Robin. Dick is like, Um, I'm not saying that you're right about any of that, but 
if you were, how did you learn all that? The kid is like, I'll tell you on the way back to Gotham. Deal? Meanwhile, back in Gotham, Batman sits dramatically on a gargoyle and looks out over the city. From a nearby window, a sinister figure watches and flips a coin, thinking to himself, I sure like hating you, Batman, almost as much as I like being obsessed with the number two. <laughs> to be continued. Hey guys, do you think that guy flipping the coin and talking about the number two is the penguin? I bet it is. And joining me once again via the power of telephonic communication is my good-for-many-things brother, Corey. Corey, how's it going? It's going quite well. I am uh, enjoying a weekend here at the Oregon coast, and it's pretty beautiful. I like it there. Yeah. Have you gone to any uh, strangely conservative discount bookstores? No, I haven't really left the house except to go to the beach. Do you recommend a strangely conservative local bookstore? <laughs> I mean, kind of. If you're looking for cheap Spencer novels, they do have a lot of them. Ah. Oh. I have now read 30 of them. <laughs> God, did he write that many? Yeah. We've talked about the Spencer novels on this show before. We don't need to rehash that kind of territory. Okay. Instead, let's talk about a different formulaic thing that I surprisingly enjoyed. This comic book. Corey, what did you think of this comic book? Well, I enjoyed it also. I have questions. Dick's business acumen? Maybe doesn't seem good? No, this doesn't seem like maybe the best time to invest in a circus. But it's maybe a vanity project for him. I don't think making money is necessarily his primary concern in this uh, circus purchase. I know, but I, I worry about him. That said, it is nice to see him have a, a bit of a passion project, I guess, and to see him exploring what brings him joy. You know, he spent so much time being an incredible downer. Mm. We've discussed the sullen coffee nursing on birthdays and all of that. And I think at one point he says this is the happiest he's ever been buying half of a dying circus. Wow, that sounds very sad when you say it that way. Yeah. Yeah, this issue is weird because there's a lot about it that seems like it shouldn't work. Honestly, the murder plot doesn't hold up to any scrutiny whatsoever. It kind of just doesn't make sense. Wait, 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 wait. So you're saying that if you get a lion drunk, it's not going to rise up against its oppressor? Well, okay, there were different drugs in the booze that the lion was given. Yeah, they sort of glossed over the science there, but okay, so they gave a lion some, let's say, some a speedball. Right. And then, yeah, it tore the throat of its trainer, Wilhelm, out. Also, I'm sorry, but I was very uncomfortable with that lion's name. Sounded a lot like the Nazi guy, didn't it? It really does. And the fact that, like, the trainer's German and everything, naming a lion Goebbels is not a good name. <laughs> and they kept repeating the name. Yeah. Yeah. 
without the S on the end. So it's yeah. like, well, we don't want to totally come out and say Wilhelm is definitely like a Nazi fan, but we'll heavily imply it. Definitely implied, which, I mean, does make you a little bit less torn up when he is torn up. But uh, that was a weird choice. But even if you put aside, like, the method of the murder, Mm -hmm. Pedro and Samson's plan just doesn't make any goddamn sense. Like, the circus is going to go out of business if what happened was an accident, right? Well, I guess to find accident, the circus was going to go out of business if, in fact, the guy was killed because the lion was rabid or otherwise really angry. But if the guy was killed by the lion because people made the lion want to kill the guy then it's totally cool right and the circus will be fine yeah that's how it works right (laughs) sure let's go with the fact that that's how it works all right if that's how it works pedro and samson want the circus to go out of business so that they can buy it super cheap right so they frame a guy for murdering if he is caught and is convicted of murder then the circus is not liable and won't go out of business. Ah. So why are they framing a guy for murder? They should want it to look like an accident. I think that they don't like that drunken clown and they don't understand circus insurance economics that well. So they just thought if something real bad happens, it'll still have to go out of business, right? Maybe. I don't know. It, it, it just seemed like like that is the whole plot for the thing. And it just doesn't hold up to any scrutiny whatsoever. That being said, I didn't mind it. There were a ton of plot holes in this thing. Events did not hold together well. When Dick takes a look at the array of three photographs of Batman fighting a guy named the Ravager on top of a dam and goes, well, obviously, Batman's in a mortal battle with Two-Face again. Yeah, clearly. And Tim's like, wow, you're really good at this shit. It's like, wait, what? I know we're supposed to get that Dick is a very good detective from that, but there is no context for him figuring that out. I was actually going to ask you about that. I thought this might be one of those things where, you know, I'm a little bit less familiar with the whole canon. (laughs) I was like, oh, maybe Hub knows why Dick was able to just look at that. And Nope. Nope. There is a big caption box on the first page of this comic that says don't read this comic book unless you've read batman 440 Mm -hmm. and i did read batman 440 i understand that you didn't you read a synopsis of it right Mm -hmm. correct you don't need to have read batman 440 to understand this comic book this is almost entirely a standalone comic book it has a framing device where the titans appear at the beginning and they weren't in that issue of batman And then you see Batman at the very end. The only real through line is that a character who we will later learn is Tim Drake has been stalking Batman and Dick because he is a Batman super fan. And later on, he ends up this is a spoiler, but it's from like 30 years ago. But he ends up becoming the new Robin, which is not at all surprising based on this issue, right? Because he's basically like a, a little dick. Yeah, totally. And I like this kid. He's fine. I I remember when they introduced Tim Drake as the character, and he was the Robin that I grew up with reading as much as any other. Are you familiar with the Tim Drake character at all? No, not really. He was brought in. Well, he was brought in right here in 1989. After they had killed off Jason Todd, they decided they still wanted to have a Robin. So they brought 
Tim Draken. He was Robin for a very long time, and I believe now he is going by the name of Red Robin. That might not be the case anymore because there's a different Robin who is Batman's biological son. And Tim Drake has actually just in the comic books come out as bisexual, which is pretty cool and means a lot to a lot of people. Mm -hmm. I do think it's kind of funny that, as you would imagine, the shittier aspects of comic book fandom are upset that Tim Drake has come out as bisexual Mm -hmm. because, you know, they're shitty. Mm -hmm. But a lot of the reaction has been like, oh, man, they're retconning this in. That was never part of the character. And I would say in one of his first on panel appearances, it's a close up of him saying, wow, Dick is good. (laughs) (laughs) So I would say there are maybe some Easter eggs going on here. Some some breadcrumbs. Mm -hmm. But I do like the Tim Drake character. I think he's an interesting character. One of the things that I think differentiated him from previous versions of Robin is that it really leans on him being a detective and him having detective skills, which I think makes a lot more sense as opposed to just him being an super acrobatic fighter. Like if you're going to have a teenager be your sidekick, first of all, you, you really shouldn't. It's incredibly dangerous, but having him do more of the like cerebral and detective work rather than the throw him in the octagon with fucking killer croc or whatever Mm -hmm. makes sense for the character more. And I think he's generally a pretty well-developed and a well-written character. Yeah, this is my first time meeting the kid. and So far, so good. Yeah. I guess I said that about DFC, but I I got a better feeling about, (laughs) about this kid. So speaking of DFC, we need to talk about the cover of this comic book. Yeah, there's a lot going on in it. There is. One of the things that's going on on the cover, first of all, beautifully drawn cover, really interesting layout. But there is a picture of the Teen Titans, and it has Speedy and Danny fucking Chase hanging out with them. Mm -hmm. So... Reading this whole issue, there is a sword of Danny fucking Chase hanging over our heads, and I kept expecting him to pop up at any point, and he never did, thankfully. But especially after Speedy showed up, I was like, oh no. Mm. What will sever sever the thread? (laughs) The sword of Danny will fall. But fortunately, Danny fucking Chase did not show up in this issue, so maybe it is just, I don't know, the drawing equivalent of a typo? Mm, maybe. Hey, speaking of the cover, maybe it was explained in the Batman issue that I read the synopsis of, but do you know why it says the letters R and T inside the bookends of the bat signal? Yeah, so you see a, a series of four logos, basically, and it is the Batman logo. The R, I believe, is the Robin symbol. And then the T is the Teen Titans symbol, or as close to one as they have. And then you have the Nightwing symbol. Oh, okay. And the idea is that this is a, you know, crossover arc that's going to bring all of those together. Although, as I said, this is really way more of a standalone issue than one would think, especially given the lead-in issue that we got. Okay. Those four symbols, though, I don't think are the only symbols on the cover. Because if you go down a little bit, The black and white image of the circus, or black and white and blue image of the circus with the out-of-business sticker over it, Mm -hmm. it looks like that is in the shape of a very stylized, like, 
don't know, Japanese calligraphy character. You'll be shocked to know that I am not fluent in either Japanese or Chinese. I looked online. It is kind of the vague shape of the Chinese character for death, which would make sense. It would be a very stylized version of it. And like I said, I'm not sure about that, but it definitely is in the shape of something. Mm -hmm. Does it look familiar to you? Do you recognize what it is? No, that's an interesting observation. I actually wouldn't, I wouldn't have picked that out. I mean, my Japanese and Chinese is about on par with yours. But it's definitely in the shape of something, right? That's not like a random shape. If it is a random shape, they sure put a lot of work into making it look a certain way. Yeah. I mean, it may not be a real... Are they called kanjis? Is that what... Mm -hmm. I mean, it may not be a real kanji. It may be, I don't know, somebody's bad tattoo idea of one. Like, maybe (laughs) George Perez saw a goth kid and was like, Hey, what does that mean? And the kid was like, it means death, it's personal, it's for me. Oh, this means dragon penis. I mean, that wouldn't be bad. <laughs> if you end up with a random symbol tattooed on you and it ends up being the one for dragon penis, that's kind of a better story. I think a lot of them are. Are symbols that mean dragon penis? Yeah. It's just like a joke that tattoo artists have. Oh, okay. I thought maybe you were saying it was a thing like that old myth about how the Inuits had 50 different words for snow. Ah. Like, it's like, oh, you no, know, like pretty much every other one of those symbols means dragon penis. <laughs> there were just so many stories about dragon penises. The ancient Chinese were super into like erotica fan fiction <laughs> about dragons. <laughs> oh, boy. That took a turn. But it is a beautiful cover. It's by George Perez. He does a wonderful job with it. And he does a wonderful job throughout the issue. It is really fun to see his art again. And I think that is part of why this issue works. As I said, maybe better than it should. The art is so freaking good. And, you know, I I guess maybe forgotten a little bit. One of the things that is so enjoyable for me about his artwork is the backgrounds and the foregrounds seem to be rendered with equal amounts of attention. The -hmm. faces and the expressions on them are really clear and consistent and readable, but there's also a ton of background and everything else that's going on. It's, It's a really kind of more immersive reading experience for me because of that. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And I think that's one of the reasons why this issue works as a standalone issue, even though a lot of the details in it don't hold together. I think one of the other ones is this story just feels comfortable and familiar. And so even when things don't quite match up the way that they should, it doesn't matter as much. And I think part of the reason for that is the setting of the circus. It is a standalone circus issue. And I have been conditioned by popular culture to accept a standalone circus issue or a standalone circus episode. So many TV shows have circus episodes and oddly specifically have murder mystery circus episodes. Have you ever been to an actual circus? I have. I talked about this on the issue with Alana. It was not a good experience. The one that I remember, I must have been to one as a kid because I have a picture of me and my grandpa riding an elephant when I'm like four or five. Mm -hmm. And it would be odd if it took place in a different context, but I don't really remember what it was. Mm. 
But yeah, when I was in my late teens or early 20s, I was working in a group home and I had to take the clients to the circus and it was the circus's tribute to country western music so there were clowns line dancing and it was fucking horrific oh how about you what what is your circus experience i have no memory of going to a circus so i'm pretty sure i didn't or maybe you went to a circus that had a albino baboon at it and you were mind controlled and uh, you did some pickpocketing for the circus and then we're programmed to forget all about it. Huh. Enjoy. Enjoy. <laughs> Indeed. So my experience with actual circuses was very negative, but my experience with fictional circuses is surprisingly positive and surprisingly ubiquitous. Like. As I was reading this, I was like, wasn't there a Perry Mason episode where they solved a murder at a circus? And I looked it up and there was. And then I was like, wasn't there a Murder, She Wrote episode where they solved a murder at a circus? It's <laughs> like, yep, there was. There was also a Matlock episode that I've seen where they solve a murder at the circus. A Magnum P.I. episode I've seen where they solve a murder at a circus. Like, every procedural it seems like has at least one episode that takes place at the circus and there's usually a murder and it's not uncommon for it to have a pretty similar plot to this comic book comic books also there's a ton of those that happen in circuses so it was a familiar setting for this type of story to take place in and it was kind of comforting reading it man i'm just now i i don't know why but all i can think about is like why didn't hunter do a circus episode are you sure that he didn't i'm not sure let's find out frontier circus the hunter and the hunted episode that's from 1961 case hunter well i am unable to confirm due to poor google acumen whether or not there was a hunter episode that took place at the circus but i would not be at all surprised if there was fair enough and I think there's a good reason for that. It's a different enough environment that it's interesting. They travel around, so there's a reason for them to be just about anywhere. It has enough specific details that can like lend a sense of credence to the story, which definitely happens here. There's like a three-panel section where Marv Wolfman's like, here are eight different circus-specific words <laughs> in a row. Uh-huh. So you can do stuff like that that lends credence to the fact that it seems well-researched, but also the circus is a insular enough community that kind of keeps its secrets that if you get shit wrong, eh, nobody's really going to know. And also because of that secretive nature, it, it is a place where it seems like anything is possible, and they specifically cultivate an air around the place where it would seem like anything is possible. So. It's a cool setting for a story like this, and it works. It does work, and the way that some of the stuff is depicted, both visually and with the exposition, does kind of put you in that environment. Like, he talks about the invention of the steam calliope, and then you can kind of hear that goofy music, and he talks mm -hmm. about how, since it's kind of gone downhill, the animal cages smell like animal poop, and I don't know, it just it really kind of sucks you into the story. 
It does. Although when he first shows up and notices, man, these animal cages are stinky. He's talking about how the place has gone to shit. One of the first things he brings up is like, normally these animals should be pacing back and forth hungrily, growling for their dinner. But instead, they'd seem sleepy and content. It's like, this place has gone to shit since they started feeding their animals. Yeah, yeah, I, I kind of, that was one of those where you read it and you're like, oof. Bad job, dick. Yeah. But as I was saying before, there is that sequence where Wolfman just uses a ton of circus-specific jargon right in a row. And that sequence comes pretty early on. It's when Dick is talking to his elephant friend, Eleanor, who he remembers from when he was a kid. And he's like, I'd saddle up your howdah. And then there's a little caption that says, the chair carried on the back of an elephant. And then he follows that up with... Gosh, it seems like yesterday, mom and dad were doing their passing leaps or iron jawing it. And I was hanging around watching all the Joey's running through their routines in Clown Alley. And then he kind of trails off and we get more circus words later. But that really is all in the space of like three panels. Mm -hmm. I'll tell you what, though, it worked for me. I only briefly thought of uh, baby kangaroos when he said (laughs) Joey's. Well, and those aren't the only circus specific phrases that he uses, because later on, when there is that beautiful montage scene of the circus, which it is a amazing splash page because it makes me, despite personally disliking the circus and having ethical concerns about the general treatment of animals there and the specific treatment of animals in this circus, it looks awesome. And I wanted to be there and it was fun. Mm hmm. Yeah. Do you know why it was called Circus 2000? Is it because we are nearing the aughts at this point in time, or just thought it sounded badass? I think it must have just been like a marketing thing. Like, this isn't your daddy's circus. Mm. This is the new, hot, future circus. Yeah, but then the whole Y2K scare come about, and people are like, oh, I'm not going to go to that circus. The whole thing's going to (laughs) crash. The clouds are all going to be reset. (laughs) The (laughs) elephants are going to go offline. You won't be able to get out. There'll be no popcorn. (laughs) Or flashlights. Yeah. And I want to get back to the flashlights in a second, but I did want to mention, as I started to say, the Joey's, the Clown Alley, the Iron Jawing, the Passing Leaps, the Howda, those aren't the only circus-specific terms that we get in there, because on that page, we also have two mentions of a very, very circus-specific technical term the cars are called Volkswagens. Mm-hmm. Do you remember our whole conversation about that, Corey? You don't, do you? Uh, not really. I mean, we talk about a lot of stuff on this. We were, I was, to, I, we, I, God damn it, Corey. Sorry. It's okay. But just to refresh your memory, just last week, we were talking about clown cars mm-hmm. and i said volkswagen and you were doubting me that clown cars were volkswagens and you said volkswagen drivers would get upset at us it was a whole running thing that we did. oh yeah 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 you still don't remember do no no i do remember this now i i was worried that you're gonna get some negative uh feedback from our vw fan audience but no they make a specific point they mentioned twice that the cars involved are volkswagens okay so uh i'm just saying that i was totally right about that yeah, no, I, I can, I just 
for those of you listening at home, we we have our cameras on, and I can see a look of smug vindication on Hub's face right now. So, well, that's my normal look. That, that my screen that's may true. have frozen, and that might just be the uh, screen capture that you have of me. You, you do have resting smug vindication face. It's true. <laughs> no, uh, congratulations. That's I was out of line, and I was wrong. That's okay. Well come to it later but there was something that i was maybe wrong about when we were having that discussion too what i know it's difficult to imagine (laughs) i started to bring up the fact that you have a guy in the stands that is selling souvenirs popcorn peanuts flashlights and then he brings flashlights up again This is apparently a circus-specific thing that seems like a terrible fucking idea that they really did do. One of the souvenirs that they would sell at the circus would be flashlights. But not just any flashlights, because that already seems like a bad idea to me. It's like giving away laser pointers on your way into a movie theater. But these were specific small metal flashlights that they would sell to children that would be on a rubber lanyard. And the idea was that as soon as the lights go off, everybody spins around their metal flashlights on this lanyard after turning them on, and it will look cool. Ah. It seems like they are basically giving away laser pointers on nunchucks to children at the beginning of this festive event. But that's apparently what they really did at circuses. I mean, I don't really see the problem with it. Really? Well, I mean, could distract the performers, right, if they're clicking flashlights at them. But uh, are you worried that that the kids are going to, like, bean each other with the... Yeah, I'm worried about that. Why would you not be worried about that? Ah, that's how they learn. They're given a chunk of metal at the end of a three-foot rope and encouraged to swing it around as hard as you can. You know, that's the days before helicopter parenting. (laughs) Yeah, but it's not it's not the days before helicopter accidents, which is what it seems like you're fucking lining up for with those things. Well, I'm I'm sure the children of the circus appreciate your your concern. No, they don't. Probably not. Grateful bastards. I want my flashlight nunchucks, man. We talked about how this circus has fallen on tough times. And that's why they might need to sell and part of what Pedro and Samson's plan hinges on. I have a different theory as to why maybe this circus is not doing too well. What's that? Too many strongmen. They have three different strongmen that this circus is employing that we see. There is the murderous one, Mm -hmm. Samson. Samson. Mm -hmm. We see the guy lifting one of the Volkswagens over his head is Mr. Muscles. And then in the opening scenes, there is just a random shot of a big, beefy black guy wearing like a leopard print toga who is hoisting a giant barbell over his head. Yeah, one giant barbell over his head and one really tiny barbell in his other hand for no good reason. Which actually does make it more impressive to me. Because I feel like if you're doing two, then you're balanced, at least. I feel like with the barbell thing, it's kind of like when you see a juggler, and if you're juggling one heavy thing and one light thing, it's more impressive. I didn't know that. I, I'm not a, a juggler, but I, I can see how that would be uh, harder. So your is your concern that because they have three strong guys that uh, they eat a lot? 
to sustain their muscle mass and that's cutting into their margins? Well, I think that's probably part of it, but I think in general, that's too much redundancy built into a circus, which is allegedly on a shoestring budget. You don't need three strong men. There's going to be diminishing returns for the crowds on that. You have one strong man. Okay. I don't know. That's how I would do it. How many strong men would you employ at your circus? I'd, I'd probably just go with the one. Yeah. I mean, you could get a Nighthawk. You could get one guy who has the strength of 10 strong men. Yeah, only at night, though. Circus probably has a matinee and then a night show. I would guess, yeah. Well, then, even if you got a Nighthawk situation, that's two strong men. You need maximum. One thing I did keep thinking throughout this issue. Where's Donna when you need her? You get a cat who really needs to be strangled here. Probably this cat's a fucking Nazi and Donna's nowhere to be found. Well, I mean, wouldn't canonically Donna need to have been in some sort of a trance? Uh, good news, Corey. She would be at the circus. Anybody there could put you in a trance. They probably got albino baboons behind the scenes. Every fucking cage you look in. Okay, no, fair point. Yeah, Donna should have been there, but uh, then Dick wouldn't have had his time to shine. I guess, but uh, maybe Wilhelm would still be alive. Yeah, yeah, he did seem like a dick. (laughs) And he did name his lion Goebbels, which again, what the fuck, dude? Yeah, fuck that guy. So let's talk about the framing device of the story, the part that takes place at the Titan Tower. What did you think of that part of the story? Um. I guess, you know, it's fine. It didn't really do a lot for me. I mean, there's like they set it up, right? Hey, we're looking. Where's Dick? Nobody can find Dick. Yeah, it did seem odd to me that they were so frantically searching for him, where the entire impetus for that search is a kid they've never seen before shows up and it's like, where's Dick? I need to talk to him. And Starfire is like, I don't know. And then he's like, OK, I'm too busy. And he runs away like. Mm-hmm. They didn't try very hard to look for him back when, like, Cyborg had been taken over by Wildebeest and was in a hospital and had had his brain rewired twice. Like, he did end up showing up for that, but after saying, like, yeah, it seems like you guys probably got this. So I have have a theory there, and that's the reason that they're searching so frantically, and this is also evidenced by something that Cyborg says later, is that Dick kind of randomly put Cyborg in in charge without consulting anybody. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, he's not feeling it. Cyborg? Yeah. He's like, I just want to go back to my individual contributor role. I never wanted to be a people manager. (laughs) I think part of that is that Dick seemed to have set him up to fail. Like, he is doing some absentee micromanaging, where he subcontracted his job to another guy without informing the guy who he nominally put in charge. He's like, hey, Speedy, you want to go join this team? They could really use your help. And he doesn't even bother to tell the Titans that. So it's not common that I feel bad for Speedy, but I absolutely did in this. That is a really uncomfortable situation to be put in. Yeah. And then, you know, when Speedy shows up, they're like, hey, help us out. And Cyborg's even like, hey, you want to you want to be the boss? Go for it. I did think that was interesting. I didn't really understand what was happening with Joey finding the secret safe in Dick's wall, where apparently he just keeps a scrapbook. I guess in terms of secret identity maintenance, it makes sense for him to have a secret safe. 
but it didn't really make sense in the context of what happened in the last issue where Tim breaks into his apartment, sees the scrapbook, is like, oh, he's at the circus and then runs off to meet him at the circus. So he broke into his apartment, found the secret safe, opened the secret safe, found the scrapbook in there, took one picture out of the scrapbook, which Dick would never do, as the Titans are quick to point out, because he is very anal retentive about the way he maintains his scrapbooking Mm -hmm. and then put the scrapbook back, locked it up, sealed the thing and then left. It just seemed like a lot. Also, it seems like. Dick and the rest of the Titans are pretty aware of good security practices, or they should be. Mm-hmm. I mean, secret identities accepted, but that's a shitty safe. It must be because the Titans are like, well, any of us could break into this easily. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which one of you wants to? And Speedy's like, eh, I guess I'll earn my keep. I'll do it. Mm-hmm. I did think it was also they're frantically looking for Dick. And at the time this episode opens, they've been looking for him everywhere for like a day and a half. And then finally, Cyborg is like, well, I didn't want to do this, but I guess we could call the place where he told us he was going to be. It's a last resort, but I guess we could call the number that he left us where he specifically told us he was going before he went on leave. Well, and and to be fair, too, their frantic searching consisted, I think, of three things, one of which was calling that number, the other one of which was calling his pager, and the other one was, like, Googling him. It kind of does make sense that Dick would tell Speedy, well, these guys are really shitty at being detectives, so uh, (laughs) would, would you mind helping them out? Although we then get that Joey is apparently the world's greatest detective? And man is Speedy surprised when he <laughs> learns that. That's I've never seen somebody in a domino mask show so much of their sclera. What's a sclera? Isn't that the the white part of your eyes? Oh, probably. I hope so. Yeah, he looked very, very surprised. It does make you wonder how incompetent Joey generally has been in his day-to-day interactions with Speedy. Mm-hmm. Because that is a level of amazement that it would I would show if Finley started doing some computer coding, you know? Yeah, or like if I could do a perfect layup or hook shot. <laughs> <laughs> it is also weird that when Cyborg calls him, Alfred's like, hey, didn't I polish your armor once? I wrote that down. Because it stuck out as such a weird thing. It seems like an innuendo, maybe? Or I couldn't really figure out what was going on with that. I don't think that is something that happened. I don't know what context it would have happened in. Mm -hmm. Unless maybe that is Alfred's way of surreptitiously saying, Yes, I know who you are, sir. Mm. But... It is such an odd phrase that I would think if there was like somebody listening into the on the phone line, it would make them want to look into things more, you know? Right. Yeah. No, that's a weird one. And I got to thinking about it and we don't usually see Borgie take his armor off either. So it would have been pretty awkward to just stand there and have Alfred like with a rag. And yeah, well, Butler's going to bottle. Yeah, I suppose so. There was a weird moment, too. We talked about how surprised Speedy was when Jericho showed some vague competence. 
he's not the only character who was very surprised by something, because at the end of the book, when Dick decides to buy a circus, the former owner, Harry, he is so surprised that he grows a full head of hair, which he immediately dyes purple. Wait, what? What page is that on? Did I, how did I miss Harry's hair change? It's at the end of the issue. He has been bald the whole episode. And then on page 22, when Dick buys the circus, he's got a full head of purple hair. No shit. Wow. He was bald with red hair beforehand. And maybe he didn't grow it. Maybe Sinestro grew it for him because he is hanging out with a bright pink guy with a mustache. So... I don't know. I I guess Dick's financial records have magical properties of some kind. Yeah, that or just the incredible sense of relief that comes with financial solvency when before there was none just makes you sprout a full head of purple hair. (laughs) Or maybe it is just, you know, Harry now wants to see he's like, oh, I'm hanging out with this younger guy now. The 90s are coming. Different kinds of circuses are on the way. I want to seem young and hip. You know, so uh, he he gets a weave and he's like, yeah, I'll have purple hair. Maybe we'll start introducing some low impact fire prancing like everybody seemed to do in Portland in the 90s. Yeah, that's true. And then uh, lots of piercings and Mm -hmm. wasn't there like a traveling thing? Yeah, it was Jim something, right? Yeah, that was like a Lollapalooza. What was that guy's name? Ah, man, I can't remember. It's like like a modern primitive Jim Rose, maybe Jim Rose sideshow or something. Yeah, I still harbor some resentment over the circus skills that I was forced to interact with on a regular basis living in Portland in the 90s. (laughs) You see the remnants held over in terms of like unicyclists. Well, we just got the one now. There's the one main one, but I did one time see somebody doing bike messengering on a unicycle, which filled me with rage for no reason. We still, I saw somebody on a tall bike the other day. It's like, really? Are we still doing that? They still got those? Yeah, it's over in North Portland. Oh, shaking my head angrily. But I guess that's what Harry wanted to fit in with. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's that's what happens when you have the Circus 2000. (laughs) You you gotta have hip purple hair. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, Corey, there's plenty more circus talk to be had, but I think most of it will probably come up in the minutia for me. You ready to move in that direction? Yeah, let's uh, slap on those iron jaws and talk about some joeys. <laughs> Rick, sing us in. <laughs> you don't need, why would you need Rick when you have this angel's voice of a calliope? <laughs> We got minutia. It's not the biggest part, it's just minutia. Like Corey eating farts, we got minutia. Time to sweat the small stuff. Thanks, Rick. So, Corey, what category do you feel like starting off with? You want to talk about some artwork? Sure. It was real darn good in this comic. What was your favorite panel? Man, I narrowed it down to three to talk about and i purposely left off the circus 2000s splash page because it was just it's too good there's too much it really is cool there's so much going on with it it is incredibly well drawn and it tricks me into wanting to go to the circus which i know i don't want to do yeah that's a hallmark of a good art experience mm-hmm. wanting to do things you don't want to do <laughs> what panels did you want to talk about 
So I already talked about it, and it's on page two when Speedy sees Joe display some competency. (laughs) He's just shocked. It's just a funny panel because also Donna is drawn in such a way that it looks like she's cleverly delivering a a racy punchline (laughs) to a joke or something. Like she's got a like a get it look on her face, and he's like, "What?" It totally does. I wonder if that was maybe what George Perez thought he was drawing in that panel. It really does have that look. I loved on page 25, we have talked about some panels in the past where a character is brooding over a cityscape, but the guy who did it first still does it best. Batman sitting on a building top next to a shot-putting gargoyle, brooding as he looks down at Gotham is really cool looking. Even the way that his cape furls in the wind emotes, that's very dramatic. It is very dramatic indeed. And did you notice that gargoyle does look like it is shot putting? Now that you mention it, it's hard not to see it. There is also, on page 23, there is a very specific touch of detail, which I really appreciated. It is the page in which Dick is looking at the photos that Tim took and is saying, oh my God, clearly from these three panels, two faces back on the scene. But the pictures of the pictures are done really well. In the last issue, for some reason, the pictures of the photographs were instead of being done in black and white, they were done in purple and blue, which was a really confusing to me stylistic choice and in this one they are done in black and white and they look so much better but there is also just this little touch of detail the clasp of the envelope that they are in i love that george perez took the time to draw that it is one of those little brass Mm -hmm. things where you fold down like it goes in like a thumbtack and then you fold down Mm -hmm. the sides to keep the envelope closed I love that he drew that, and he drew it well. It's really cool looking. Yeah, that attention to detail is really impressive. I really enjoyed the heartwarming exchange between Dick and Eleanor. Mm. I see elephants are some of my favorite animals, and I just I love that he shows up. This elephant named Eleanor hasn't seen him since he was a little boy, and just instantly is like, "Oh, it's my friend!" and goes over and like they hang out. That was very sweet. It was a very well drawn elephant. Perhaps, unfortunately, all I could think of during that scene was, do you remember the Mr. Show sketch where Bob Odenkirk plays a guy who has to take on a bunch of demeaning jobs to make extra money so that his unborn child can compete in fetal beauty pageants? I think I would remember that if I had seen it. It's not ringing a bell. One of the jobs that he has to take to make extra money is kissing elephants butts at the circus and they just show him kissing an elephant's butt and then they cut to the circus owner and the circus owner's just saying yeah i don't know what it is about it but the elephants just love it (laughs) (laughs) oh man and so when dick is watching the elephant all i could think of was bob odenkirk (laughs) kissing an elephant's butt yeah no that's that's fair i could see why that would come up Which is why that was one of my favorite panels. Oh, glad to hear it. The other one, which I think honestly might be my favorite panel, period, is on page 20, and it is Dick as a clown doing a savat kick 
wearing his clown shoes. Oh my gosh, you know what? I had a different panel with Dick as a Clown as my favorite. Oh. That one that you called out is real good. I, I had the one on 14 where he's first revealed as mm. a clown, and he's running with great purpose towards the viewer. He is. And let's segue into the category in which I brought up that panel. Sartorially speaking, which elements of fashion did you find most notable in this comic? Well, so Dick as a Clown definitely comes up. They found a way to almost make a clown look tough. (laughs) Well, what did a lot of the heavy lifting there was that it is a very half-assed clown suit that Dick is wearing. Like, he's got the striped shirt with suspenders, Uh and he's got the clown wig and almost the full face of makeup, but then... He just doesn't have any makeup right around his mouth where you would expect the big clown makeup lipstick thing to be. Mm -hmm. That part of his face is just non-made up. And so you can see more expression on his face uh, and you can see him like grimacing, which normally you would not be able to tell a clown was doing unless his expression was painted on. Mm -hmm. But that is something that you see a lot of different clowns in this issue having where they just did not have any makeup over their mouth area. Mm-hmm. It made me think maybe this is a very make-out intensive circus. Oh. Like, all the clowns are just constantly smooching each other. Which brings me to, I mentioned this earlier, something that I may have been too hasty about when we were discussing it last week. Because not only did we talk about Volkswagens being clown cars, mm-hmm. We also discussed the fact that hats should be normal sized, appropriately sized hats and backpacks. I remember that. Yep. And yet on page six, there is a clown that I find very attractive. She has a weird like hobo clown Annie Hall look going for herself. Mm -hmm. But as part of that, she is wearing a tiny hobo hat. Uh, You can practically see the lid of it coming off like the lid of a can of beans. She's not looking particularly happy in this, but she also has the area around her mouth. Does not have the clown lipstick, but uh, yeah, it's it's a red haired clown lady. And uh, I got to say, she's kind of doing it for me. The thing that's weird that throws me off is um, she doesn't have the round clown nose. She just has regular nose that's painted red. Maybe that's part of what I don't like about the clown. It's it's the lips and the nose. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, it's a good look for her. And then you see the same clown, I believe, later on, on page nine, wearing less makeup in this one. But she has like the giant pants, like the Jared from Subway pants, <laughs> <laughs> kind of, but held up by suspenders. Yeah. I don't know. It's a it's a good look for her. I'm really surprised and frankly a little disturbed at the extent to which this clown lady is doing it for me. Yeah, me too. I'm disturbed also. <laughs> Understandably so. But thank you for your honesty. I am nothing if not honest, Corey. Mm. Nothing except for horny for a clown. This is uh... so odd. I don't like it any more than you do. Any other fashion you wanted to talk about? Corey, every issue 
of a Teen Titans comic book has one character who has to act, or rather overact, in the most dramatic fashion. They are the president of the drama club. In this issue, who did you have as your president of the drama club? Well, I believe I alluded to it already, but I had uh, the Batman. Mm. He can brood with the best of them, we all know this, but man, does he do it well in this issue. To the degree that after a few panels of it, you're like, okay, man, that's (laughs) enough. Yeah, he's only on six panels in this comic book, but in each of them, he is just brooding stoically on a rooftop, Batmaning at an 11 out of 10 rate. Yeah, like the first three or four panels, like, I get it, you're going through some stuff, but go handle it. Batman is a very, very good choice. And in a comic book that Batman appears in, I've mentioned it before, he is my default choice for president of the drama club, unless somebody takes the mantle from him. And in this issue, for me, Tim Drake was able to take that mantle because he does a very frustrating narrative thing that we've seen a lot in the pages of this comic book. He does actually a couple of them. The first one is he shows up at the circus. Dick is like, who are you? And he says, there's no time to explain. It's an emergency. I think Batman's sad. Yeah, there's a lot of urgent stuff in this issue that just doesn't seem that urgent. It would take him like eight seconds to explain, but there's no time because I think Batman's sad. And at first he says there's no time. Dick asks him again. He's like, no, it's too urgent. Dick asks him again later, and he's like, it's not important. That's a thing that people both in politics and business often do that drives me crazy, is that way of deflecting a question. Of either just not answering it and just going right on to something else or just being like, it doesn't matter. And then they move on. Yeah, I don't care for it in politicians and I don't care for it in teenage sidekicks. I feel like it is unnecessarily dramatic. And the other thing that he does, which is unnecessarily dramatic, it turns out he was doing in the last issue that he's not doing in this issue anymore. But he spent the entire last issue concealing his face from the reader so he could have a big reveal as to who he really is. And in this issue, he's like, who I really am is uh, uh, some kid you've never seen before. Why did you go through all of that rigmarole? We've seen that happen in comic books before. It happened with uh, Moon Space God Lady when she came down. She's like, no one can see my face. I'll keep it under this robe. And then she peels back a robe and it's like, it's a lady. Yeah. Okay. Well, Tim Drake does it in this issue. He has his big reveal of who he is. And who he is is a kid. Some kid. Yep. So he is my president of the drama club. Fair enough. In addition to a president of the drama club, every Teen Titans issue also has an Aqualad, the greatest of Teen Titans, and a Beast Boy, the worst of Teen Titans, until Danny fucking Chase showed up. In this issue, who did you have as your Aqualad, and who did you have as your Beast Boy? Aqualad was a a bit of a toss-up for me. I was going to go with Dick for, you know, doing something that brings him joy. Mm -hmm. Buying half of a potentially defunct circus. And also for attempting to save somebody's life. But I didn't really care about the character who he attempted to save. And also he didn't save them. The character died. So so he's out of the running. 
So okay. actually, I, I went with the kid. I thought he was very persistent. I was annoyed that he deflected questions. Mm-hmm. But uh, he essentially accomplished what he had set out to do. Yeah, I know what you mean. I considered him as an option, and I considered Dick as an option, and ended up discarding both choices. Uh, Dick, for reasons we will get into shortly, and Tim, for reasons we have just covered. There's no time to explain. Okay, here's how much time it would take him to explain. I'm an amateur detective, and I figured out your secret identity. I think Batman's sad. My name's Tim Drake. What was that, four seconds? That's pretty fast. Yeah, there was time. So for my Aqualad, I had Speedy. Oh. Uncharacteristically, he was the character who this category started off being named for. He was such a piece of shit. Mm -hmm. But in this issue, he shows up for a friend. He did his homework. He was asked to catch up on what the Titans had been up to, and he made sure he learned and brought himself up to speed and did it despite it putting him in an awkward situation. So he was my choice for Aqualad. My backup choice was Joey for being a good detective, but uh, I couldn't quite give it to him because everyone was so surprised that he did a good job. It makes me think he generally has been lowering the bar for himself unnecessarily. Probably been sandbagging. He's a real gold bricker, that guy. Conversely, for my Beast Boy, I had Dick. Partly for showing up at the circus and being like, these animals are rested and well-fed. What kind of fucking circus is this? Partly for not telling the gang that he had hired Speedy. Specifically not telling Vic. He is setting Vic up for failure. Like that kind of lack of communication and giving up control but not really giving up control is really, really frustrating. And uh, yeah, despite him doing some things very well, surprisingly inexplicably well in this issue, like figuring out that Two-Face was behind things, he did those things very, very badly, and that earned him the award of Beast Boy. Fair enough. Yeah, I actually did a bit of a 180, and Dick was considered for the Aqualad category, wound up in the Beast Boy category, but is duking it out with Batman. Ah who, technically not a Titan, but loosely, peripherally, he's in the issue. Yeah, and I think the eligibility for who may or may not be a Titan is increased since they dropped the teen from their name. Yeah, so definitely tempted to to go uh, with Dick as the choice, but I think I'm going to give it to Bats for... I mean, I know he's got stuff to process, but he's just really making a mess of things. Yeah. He's really making a meal of his brooding. Yeah, I don't care for that. He's hanging out on that rooftop so long that Two-Face has a chance to look out his window and be like, yep, there he is again. There's Batman. I'll just flip my coin for a few minutes. Oh, he's still there. Okay. Yeah. Boo. Good call. Corey, were you able to find any timestamps in this issue? Yeah, I just had the one, which again goes into another thing I I feel like Dick didn't do particularly well, which was handle important communications. Hmm. Like he's got a pager for a reason. Yeah, it's, he's he's in charge, or he was in charge. Even when he's not in charge, he should be reachable by his team. There could be a life or death thing going on that he could help with, mm-hmm. and uh, he didn't answer his pager. But also pagers, 
are an old thing and therefore timestamp. They are indeed. I went with uh, Circus 2000 being my timestamp. We've discussed it before, but I think the idea that the year 2000 was close enough that it seems aspirational, but still futuristic mm-hmm. is uh, as close as I could come to a timestamp in this. I had forgotten about the pager, honestly. I had briefly thought that at the beginning of the comic, when Dick meets Jacques and Jacques says that he was going to join the Circus de Vegas, I was like, is that a reference to Cirque du Soleil? Mm. But uh, Cirque du Soleil didn't move to Las Vegas or have a permanent Las Vegas exhibit until 1993. So they were still in Montreal at the time. So I think if they were trying to allude to that, they would have tried to put it there. So that was not a timestamp. Just walking you through the process here of how I got to Circus 2000. For somebody who does not like circuses, you sure know a lot about circuses. Did you know that Mickey Dolenz from The Monkees, his first role was the star of the TV show Circus Boy? Nope. It's about a boy who, get this, lived at a circus. Ooh. Now, Corey, would you suspect that this boy had a monkey friend? I would suspect he did. And you would suspect correctly. Ah. And later on, he went on to have three monkey friends. Peter, Davy, and Mike. Hey, hey, we're the monkeys. We like to monkey around. They did indeed. Who's your favorite monkey? I don't know them well enough to have a favorite. Oh. The correct answer is Mike Nesmith. Good to know. Good hat, good sense of humor, really dry deadpan delivery, mm-hmm. and a very talented musician. I think they all were in their own way, which they, they don't get enough credit for, but uh, Mike Nesmith, hell of a songwriter. All right. That's good to know. He must be your favorite monkey. He is indeed. He also directed the film Elephant Parts, which I like. Hmm. I don't think I know that one. Had a lot of different music videos in it. I think it's probably time, Corey, that we took this party to the Bozone. What instance of one character calling another character a bozo, either literally or metaphorically, would you like to highlight? There was one that was kind of indirect on page two. Uh, I'm not sure who says it. They're kind of off panel. Man, that boy never cleans. Talking about how dirty Dick's apartment is and what a slob he is. Mm hmm. I think that's a pretty good one. I had a couple that were directed at Harry of uh, various degrees of nastiness. The lesser of the two insults came from Samson, who was about to try to murder him when he called him, you stupid drunken sot. I had that one, too. But I think the harsher of the two came from a mean clown who I think was named Tom, who said, why don't you just blow your brains out? It'll be easier that way. Ouch! That clown's an asshole. Oh, yeah. Those are the two main insults that I had. I did think it was almost suspicious that this whole issue takes place at a circus and there is not a natty bee in sight. Nobody says the word bozo. Yeah, disappointing. But in other clown-related insults, on that panel we talked about where the circus looks fucking awesome on page 11, There is 
almost a insult by omission that happens there, where the captions are just describing how awesome everything at the circus is. The amazing feats, the wild animals, the laughable clowns. <laughs> I guess you could laugh at them, technically. He's specifically not saying that they're funny. They're just, they're laughable. One could laugh at a clown worse, one so disposed. Uh, that struck me as a very backhanded diss at clowns. I didn't read it that way, but I could, I could see where you're going. Like it could have been the hilarious clowns or something uh -huh. like that. The talented clowns, the gifted clowns, but uh, laughable. Yeah, yeah, you could. Any other insults? Uh, no, I just had the, the two, the dick never cleans and the stupid drunken salt. Mm. Which was actually directed at Dick in the disguise. That's true, but I mean, the guy thought he was insulting Harry. Yeah, I know. But it was funny that Dick ran with it. So he looks forlornly at the bottle and says, I am. I really am. <laughs> yeah, that's almost the bigger diss on Harry. Right? <laughs> Let's have ourselves a battle of the names what band names were you able to find in the text of this issue i think probably my favorite one that i came up with was the confusion and the cacophony hmm i considered that one yeah i think that's pretty good it sounds very epic kind of bombasty but but i like the fact that there's confusion in there yeah and that c and c are the main letters in the, the band name it's like mostly they just do CNC Music Factory covers. I don't know. Oh, but louder, maybe. Yeah, with an edge. <laughs> louder and they forget the lyrics. Yeah. So you get the confusion and the cacophony. Uh-huh. That sound like fun? I mean, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely a thing that would make me go, hmm. Mm hmm Yeah? Uh-huh. Because CNC Music Factory, they had that things that make you go, hmm. Mm hmm You know? Yeah. No, I got it. I think that's a very good band name. I had a couple, one of which I just mentioned, but the Laughable Clowns. I had that too. Oh, oh so I guess uh, the Laughable Clowns it is, yep. unless you also had Sloppy Pedro. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what a shame. I didn't, I didn't have uh, that. I missed that one. Yeah, I, I think uh, Sloppy Pedro just has uh, a lot of songs about uh, imaginary sandwiches. <laughs> Um, just different potential applications of loose meat. I don't know. But the name Sloppy Pedro, I thought was pretty funny. It is pretty funny. But, uh, rules is rules, so. But, you know what isn't funny, probably? Mm, laughable the Laughable Clowns. clowns. Yeah. What kind of music do you think the Laughable Clowns make? Oh, I was thinking they were, like, propaganda, like, kind of. Oh, like political pop punk? Yeah, exactly. I know we've discussed this on the show before, and I think I've discussed it in general before, but if Propagandi wants to burn the flag, the, the time to do that would be after they shove it up my ass, not before. If you burn the flag, you're going to have a lot more difficulty shoving it up my ass, Propagandi. We, we have, we, uh, uh, we've been over this. <laughs> I know, I just, it bothers me. I just, I... I want them to do well. They seem like nice Canadian young men. Mm -hmm. Not so young anymore. Mm -hmm. But uh, I, I just 
worry about the way they're going about things. Mm-hmm. See, I, I had the laughable clowns probably just being, uh, I don't know, more bummer music, but uh, well, you like think it's they're... a super ironic mm-hmm. name, like it's not funny. They're sad clowns. Like, yeah, yeah, they're, they're, they're sad clowns, but they're like, yeah, isn't it a laughable? They're hipster sad clowns. Oh, know? I hate them. <laughs> yeah, I don't like them either, but we're stuck with them. I hate this band. They don't have to be that. They could be, uh... I saw them open for Box 65 at the Doug Fur a couple years ago. <laughs> Just kidding. No, that was Bernard Dolan, and he was great. He was a sad clown. He was a sad hipster clown. But uh, he does a poem called Sky Cycle Blues, which I really like. Yeah, I I was not referring to the actual opening act for that show. It is interesting, though, that it was a sad clown that opened (laughs) because he did dress like a sad clown. Oh, dear. So it seems like maybe you did mean that. Corey, are you trying to start beef with Bernard Dolan? I don't know who that is, and no. He was the opening act for Buck 65 when we saw him play at the Doug Fur. <laughs> oh my god. I have his CD. Sorry, Bernard. So, I don't know, I, I guess maybe, uh, maybe the laughable clowns just do diss tracks about... Other clowns? About indie rock clown poets? Yep. Alright, tough but fair. I'll see how that does on Twitter eventually. I am so far behind on these, I'm sorry. We will get caught up this next couple of weeks have no one to blame but myself i know you would probably like to blame bernard dolan but it's not his fault Corey. what a clown well and because we already covered this month a couple of weeks ago with elon 11 and we learned what aqualad is probably up to in october of 1990 We could push it forward a month and do November, but we are already nearly a year in advance of the title dates of these comics, so I really don't want to do that. But uh, no Waput this week, which means that our show is drawing to an end. Time to pack up those tents and fold up the canvas. The circus is going to be back next week with another murder, probably. Seriously, I thought it was just in comic books that uh, circuses were murder traps, but no, apparently it is a pan-media phenomena. If you are in a fictional circus, you gotta be prepared for at least a little bit of murder. Damn. Corey, I had fun talking about this comic book with you. Me too. We will be back next week to talk some Defenders. In the meantime, if you would like to get into touch with me and Corey, we can be reached at ttwasteland at gmail.com or at tighten up the defense p.o box 20311 portland oregon 97294 we can also be found on the socials media i'll be up on the twitter or the facebook or the whatever saying a thing doing a thing and uh you can probably find us there but if you can't there is one more place you can look and that is deep inside your heart Corey, what are you going to be doing in people's hearts this week? I'm going to be enjoying a uh, lemon and blueberry tart. Oh, very nice. Mm-hmm. Yep. A lot of baking going on in people's hearts lately, I've noticed. Yeah, well. So. It's, it's a warm, cozy place. You want yep. to feel at home. I, I get it. I baked my first cake today. Oh, yeah? I was kind of surprised to realize that I hadn't baked a cake before. Ever. 
No. Not even like a store-bought boxed one? No, I had never baked a store-bought box. Oh, like a, a okay. The kit that comes like, in a box. Uh, yeah. You add <laughs> eggs and water and shit to it. I thought you were saying... I thought, like the one from the bakery? You have to rebake yeah, those, right? Like, hey, it smells like, no, Corey, I've never worked in a bakery at a supermarket. You know that about me. <laughs> you know what I mean. Betty Crocker. I, I don't think Whatever. I have, no. But yeah, I, uh, I baked a red velvet cake. Our friend Vivian turned 10 recently, and uh, you can get together with, uh, with her and her family, and uh, yeah, baked a red velvet cake. Came out pretty good. Wait, you ate it before giving it to the kid? Okay, here's the thing, Corey. Mm. The recipe called for two nine-inch pans. Mm-hmm. I don't have two nine-inch round pans. Mm-hmm. I have a nine-inch round pan and an eight-inch round pan. Oh. So I made a tiered cake, and then uh, that may have left a little leftover for cupcakes. Oh. Which is how I know that it came out pretty good. Nice. But that's not what I'm up to in people's hearts this week. I, I already baked my cake for the week. I think this week in people's hearts, I'll be trying to gauge my level of concern about growler bears. Have you heard of these things, Corey? No. So the reason for them is sad and a legitimate cause for concern. Because of global warming, polar bears' territory is moving further south, and they have started crossbreeding with grizzly bears. Whoa. And making grizzly-polar bear hybrids. Which, definitely, the global warming is a thing to be concerned about. And the reason for the growler bear is something to be concerned about. But growler bears seem like they are in and of themselves a cause for concern. And I'm trying to figure out exactly how much I should be afraid of this particular bear. Mm-hmm. So I've got some thinking to do. And I'm going to do it inside your hearts where it's, it's a nice place to hang out. Corey, if you were to cross two bears what two bears would you want to cross i mean don't cross any bears i'm, like, I'm you know, saying don't, yeah don't no i'm not run afoul that, no. of them but like if you were to uh create a hybrid bear of mm. two different kinds of bear uh-huh. what bears would you would you want gosh i don't know i think sun bears are pretty cute i know you're not oh. supposed to keep them as pets but no but people bad. do i i love me a malaysian sun bear those uh-huh. guys are rad it's probably like a sun bear and a gummy bear like that probably wouldn't be very dangerous it doesn't it seems sad well you'd just be no. like a car you'd come out like a cute little cartoon bear wouldn't it in my mind oh you mean like the cartoon gummy bears not the haribo candy gummy bears yeah i mean how's that gonna work <laughs> that's what gonna, i was gonna, saying gonna, i don't think that would work that would candy? just be gross like a part candy part animal that seems just sad oh the cartoon one yeah okay like they can bounce around and shit maybe they got a toy wooden sword Maybe. No, that seems pretty good. It's going for cute and not scary. I think I would maybe go with Winnie the Pooh and Bear Grylls. The survival guy? Yeah. (laughs) Winnie the Pooh. I love Winnie the Pooh, but he seems like he has virtually no survival skills. And so maybe if we could, uh, you know, get, get some of those going in him genetically, then we could have a more sustainable Winnie the Pooh that will be with us for generations. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, Constantly getting his head stuck in honey pots, and uh, well, I know, I know in the fiction it worked out okay, but I feel like if that was a real bear, we'd be out of Winnie the Pooh's pretty goddamn quick. Yeah, probably so. Yeah. If you would like to donate to the show, <laughs> and after that, who wouldn't really? 
You can check us out at patreon.com slash ttwasteland. If you do, you get access to a whole bunch of bonus material that is available exclusively to our donors. There is the podcast, What the Duck, a podcast most foul, but with a W, because he's a duck. That's the full name of the show. That is the Howard the Duck podcast that I co-host with my wife, Lisa. There are also a whole bunch of video reviews of classic comics that are up there. I've done a bunch on 70s romance comics lately. Those have been a lot of fun. And there's also a bunch of bonus podcasts that I've recorded over the years with Corey and some other friends of the show. So you can check all that stuff up if you donate to the show. Corey, if people would like to support the show in a non-financial way, how would you recommend they do that? The two ways that come to mind are talking to people about the show in a way that perhaps would inspire them to give the show a listen. So would you recommend that they lie to people? If that's your thing and you're good at it. What would be could. the best lie that you would tell that would convince people to, to listen to this show? Corey? It's not my thing and I'm bad at it, but I'll try. OK, I am a notoriously bad. Liar. I once it's got an Airbnb host in a great amount of trouble because I did the opposite of what his little ad said to do. I had a fever. Um, <laughs> wait, 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 wait. I'm sorry. So the Airbnb guy instructed you to lie in his instructions. Who did he instruct you to lie to? Uh, anybody in the building that asked if it was an Airbnb. Oh, what were you supposed to tell them? I'm staying with my friend, and I can't remember the friend's name, so I used the word Mario because <laughs> I thought that was in the ad. But any, it didn't go well. You said, I'm staying with my friend Mario. Uh-huh. But then the building manager guy was like, there's no Mario here. <laughs> What's really going on? I was like, I'm so sorry. It's an Airbnb. The guy's... <laughs> uh. So you would maybe recommend that if people want, if you want to trick people into listening to the show, tell them it's an Airbnb <laughs> that was started by your friend Mario. Yes, that's what I was trying to say all along understood or you said they could leave a review what would be an example of a review someone could leave and say i played this podcast for my friend mario and he gave it five stars and didn't get kicked out of his building yep nice thank you how should we end this thing it's the sights and sounds that have thrilled generations oh see that would be a review people could leave ah there you go yeah and also a lie Two for two. Um, until next week, you know what? Mm. Maybe do wear a tiny hat? No. No. <laughs> you see, because it was a switcheroo, Corey. I changed my mind about the tiny hats. Uh, it's because you think this cartoon clown lady's hot. That's so disappointing. <laughs> Oh, when you say it out loud, it is on so many levels. <laughs> All right. No, I'm back. I'm back on board. Tiny hats are out. Thank God. Boo, tiny hats. Bye. Bye. <laughs> and they knew it.